You're listening to Metrics and Chill, where you'll learn how to improve key metrics that grow your business from companies that have done it before. In this episode, I got to chat with Nate Turner, co-founder and CEO of TenSpeed, to learn how they helped a client increase in monthly traffic by 313%. You'll learn how you can improve SEO immediately by updating your existing content, his insights around improving call to actions on your content, what issues to watch out for when you're launching a new website for your organization, along with a ton more. Just one quick heads up that I experienced some audio issues on this interview, so I apologize for that ahead of time, but I really hope you enjoy it and get a ton of value out of it. Nate, thank you so much for coming on Metrics and Chill. I'm glad John introduced us. I'm excited to chat with you today about growing um, organic traffic. For the people who don't know that are listening, can you, we start every episode this way, can you kind of give the elevator pitch for 10Speed? Thanks, Jeremiah. I'm really excited to be chatting with you today. Uh, so 10Speed was really born out of the experience that uh, my co-founder Kevin and I had in-house at SaaS companies like Sprout Social and Review Trackers, uh, and then time I spent consulting with a number of other SaaS companies. And so really building uh, out of that experience we had uh, into this agency, we help SaaS companies kind of at that intersection of content marketing and SEO. So strategy, content creation, uh, distribution and repurposing, uh, content operations, and you know a, a range of SEO. And we've kind of built the services around uh, what we've experienced and what's needed. So kind of tailor it a bit to, to each situation, but uh, really understanding what's needed at each phase to help companies keep uh, you know growing their brand, uh, having great content that they can use for their marketing, and also just uh, you know continue to to generate pipeline and revenue as well. Yeah, so I'm super excited about this one. Um, I have a bit of a bit of SEO background, so I'm really keen to dig into this with you. We're yeah. going to be talking about how you grew total organic traffic for a client as the kind of primary metric. You saw, I know there was like a whole uh, laundry list of amazing other results, um, but you grew pretty significantly the organic traffic for a client. Can you talk about um, and? You can name or not name the client, whatever whatever you want to do. But what sure. was sort of the? Let's start here. Like, what was the onus behind them turning to SEO? What was kind of the backstory going on? Why this and not other channels, or why this in addition to other channels? What 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 gave that belief and kind of drove them to to say like, hey, we really need to boost this metric? Yeah. So um, sometimes before I chat about that one, you know, sometimes we do have folks that come to us, and the pain is like. It's very cute. It's like, hey, we we've lost X amount of traffic and we can't figure it out. We need help to kind of get it back and get growing again. Uh, but in this case, it was a little bit more of you know smaller um, team, you know, smaller SaaS company, and they had been doing a number of of marketing activities for a while. And um, like many companies, paid was just getting more and more expensive, and so like the the CAC was going up on that channel. Uh, and really had tested a number of different things. And the only thing that really felt like it was working and had legs and had sort of the runway was uh, content marketing uh, and and then like particularly within organic search. So they were actually growing uh, about 15% year over year uh, when they came to us. So um, it, wasn't, it wasn't that acute pain of things aren't working. It actually was working, but it just became a thing that was, hey, we've tried a lot of different channels we don't feel at the moment like we have uh, many big levers and this is really the one and we would love your your help and your experience to to really help kind of drive that forward for us in the future. Awesome. 
Um, yeah, we've heard that. I've heard that now from a few people that uh, it seems like costs are just increasingly going up with paid, and this is an avenue. Do you find Do you find that when people come to turn to organic, like I, I, this seems to be increasing across the market. People are seeing like costs go up on paid, competitors are rising, all these things. So they're, and there's, I've seen, you know, I, I see SEOs like on LinkedIn and stuff kind of poke fun at this, but there's like this notion among some, uh, um, among some um, company leaders that like SEO is like the free uh, way to, to do this, like as opposed to paid. Do you have to combat any like misconceptions there or anything like I, I know like obviously there's a good amount of investment up front into it and then there's also investment in maintaining it and making mm -hmm. sure that the team can carry on with good content creation practices is there just out of curiosity is there anything there that you have to combat or see frequently um no i think um kind of i guess like there's i think there's a, a varying degree of that for sure um the interesting thing though is it can be what I always find interesting is that people, you know, I love to ask like, how much are you spending on paid advertising uh, with companies? And they'll, you know, say, oh, you know, 150,000 a month or 300,000 a month. Um, but then are sort of alarmed at the idea of, uh, you know, running even a sort of a decent content program at being, you know, 15 to you know 30,000 or something when you kind of factor in one or two in-house employees, agencies or contractors, whatever it might be. Um, that feels like this big expense when really it's, you know, maybe 10% of what's being spent on ads. So it certainly isn't free, but I think, um, you know, for a lot of folks, when you can build the content and you can kind of build up this library and gain that organic traffic, even though you are maintaining, uh, and having to kind of optimize existing stuff and continue to create new, um, you know, if you were to really look at, uh, you know, divide a month's expenses across what you created, but then look at how much, that's that's brought for you you know over a year two years however long the content's been there that's where i think that that curve changes uh in terms of the expense and the roi uh is being able to kind of look at that um for over the long term versus paid where you're just sort of in and out transactional so um yeah i don't i don't have a lot of folks asking to say about like considering it the free traffic but i think um a lot of of people are understanding that like if we can get this right there is sort of that longer term compounding benefit that will bring down our CAC and, and really be a beneficial thing for us. Yeah, I think, I wonder if it's this mindset of even though, it, like if they could look at the two programs and all in they see that their cost, you know, let's say it's half of what like a good ad program would be to really get competitive. If the organic content route is half, there still seems to be among some leaders, this mindset, I think maybe it's just the unknowns. Like they just, it's mm -hmm. like, there's still this factor of like known and paid that if they put in this money, they're going to at least hope or be able to measure it out. So do you find there also needs to be a, that the people who come to you, there's a philosophy or a belief system that they have to have, like they have to have a certain mindset to be really successful clients here. Uh, yes, absolutely. I, um, something that I try to, to push on pretty hard you know, early on in, in the conversations uh, when I'm talking with prospects and uh, have, have certainly turned away folks. So it's just sort of like, you know, hey, we want to test this for three months, uh, you know, or like what, you know, can you help us calculate a very specific ROI um, is very, very different conversation than like our CEO is bought in on content. We want this to be one of our biggest three channels for like the next eight years and just sort of this like, we know we want to do it. We know we want to invest in it. We know we want to do it well. Like that is a, a very, very different mindset, philosophy, 
and it and it shifts the the conversation and it's not that they don't they don't care about results early on because they do like they want to see progress and and know that you're kind of taking the the steps to get them there and not just like this blind trust over a, a long period but it's it's just a a philosophy there that that like you said that i think um is really necessary from the top down and bottom up yeah uh, okay, so can you start me at the top? How did you, how did you actually move the needle on this? Like, like I said, you we're gonna re- kind of reveal at the end, like the the amount that you grew organic traffic was very sizable. You saw all kinds of other uh, really impressive results. Start me at the top. Like when the client came to you, what were sort of the first things that you did to start to try and move the needle here or, or set them up for success? Yeah. Um, so they, like I said, they they were growing, so they were already kind of about. 10,000 a month uh, in organic visits and they uh, maybe I don't know if it was the number one revenue channel but it was close I mean it was definitely a channel that was had you know a good amount of traffic already and uh, revenue there so um, we just started off by looking at all of the existing content and they had a lot of, of content decay they had a lot of sort of internal competition a number of things that were hampering the results of what they already had so we actually started entirely by just op- updating existing content. Um, and it, like I said, that was a number of smaller tweaks on some posts. It was um, some internal linking. It was consolidating multiple similar pieces into one. Like there were a number of things we just did, you know, full rewrites, all kind of the, the whole gamut. Um, and so we started with that. And so that was like a nice initial boost because the you know optimi- optimizing existing kind of always shows results quicker. Uh, so we started with that and then from there shifted into kind of a balanced approach of kind of half opt- optimizing existing and half new content, uh, which allowed us to not only gain back some of that opportunity, but then also start to build and expand on top of that. Um, from there, it wasn't necessarily as much of an influence on the organic traffic metric, but uh, we did a good amount of work on the CTAs within the all the existing content. Uh, and so that was really a, a huge lever that drove substantially more signups and revenue, which then really like cemented the the long-term goal because, you know, we always say like, nobody's out here to get traffic for the sake of traffic. Right. Uh, and so uh, really having that business impact, I think secured sort of the longer term um, view on it. And so uh, things were going really well, I think for, you know, about the first year, year, a little over a year. Uh, and then they actually, did a site redesign, which is a common thing with companies. And there's, you know, uh, just a, a number of changes that sort of happen with that when you have new templates, new layouts, even a little bit of site structure change. Um, so that also kind of happened around the same time that Google moved to, uh, like the hundred percent mobile indexing and also, um, uh, implementing core web vitals as, uh, a, a bigger factor. And so actually lost about 20% of traffic um in that so it definitely hasn't been like all you know sunshine and rainbows and up and to the right you know it's definitely a a very realistic chart and and something that companies go through so lost some traffic from that and uh, we spent about three months doing a number of things to fix technical issues uh clean up some sitemap stuff um some of the on-page stuff internal linking just a number of things that had to happen there um, and once we kind of got that back on the right track, then we actually uh, worked with them and doubled 
the amount of content. So it went from four per month to eight per month. So it wasn't even like a high volume uh, content scenario uh, early on. Um, so we doubled to eight and introduced a little bit of strategic link building that we could intentionally uh, build around some of the certain posts that we wanted to build uh, from there. And so then that's where we got uh, regained all of the, the lost traffic and then got back to, to hitting new new highs and then continue growing from there you know over the last seven or eight months so uh, so we're about two years a little over two years in on on that one all in and so it's been a, a very like awesome experience like I said because it's there's sort of been that foundation of trust uh, to be able to work through some of the the decreases in traffic um, and then uh, really getting back to where it should and so it's felt very much like it did uh, so when I was at Sprout Social there for you know nine years and it was like uh you you just that's inevitable that you experience you know growth and you also experience issues and a little bit of a downturn and and it's never up and to the right so uh having worked with them for for a little over two years now really kind of felt very much like an in-house experience of seeing a little bit of everything at this point yeah it's one of those things where like if you can weather them like if you can you know maintain retention during a significant dip like that and help them through it and come back it's it's yeah. just a whole nother level of like trust in your in your uh company yeah um, and i think sorry i was gonna say I, yeah. to that point i think that there's um i would say in the past uh, there's probably a higher likelihood of of folks firing an agency or firing contractors or whatever if if the traffic was going down but i think generally um folks have learned that that's like a normal thing that happens uh and so there's a little more understanding there but it's also like the exact time when they want to be able to lean on us to fix that and so that that was very rewarding for our team to be able to say like yes you're leaning on us to fix this we're going to fix this for you and we did, and and then moving forward. So, um, yeah. So it's it's uh it's definitely a trust building opportunity. I'm sure it helps too that you were able to kind of point pretty exactly to the timeline that the new website went up, and that, you know it's like not like you had anything to do with. Um, right. So I'm sure that was like a a huge advantage as well. Um, all right, I took notes furiously here with my little notebook. Um, so <laughs> yep. like, I'm gonna now like this is an amazing overview. I'm gonna try and go back at the top and just kind of dig into some areas I'm interested in. Yeah. Um, all right, so the first thing you said was they're, they're all getting 10,000, uh, 10,000, was it uniques a month or, or uh, sessions a month or? Um, yeah, I think it was, um, it was not sessions. So okay. yeah, it was, it was uniques, yep. Okay, so they're already getting 10,000 uniques a month. I mean, it's pretty impressive for a company that hasn't invested super heavily. W were they doing something internally to like to get to that level? It, it feels like a level you don't get to by accident. So if it was already a number one channel for them, were, had they kind of done some stuff internally and then when they came to you, they were looking to really ramp that up? Or, um, or, or was it purely just from kind of like them being known, you know, in the industry? Yes, it was, uh, they had done a good amount of work to build up um, the blog content, um, just just internally writing. I think at times they'd worked with some contractors on, um, you know, giving notes and then contractors helping write it. But most of it was written internally. But there was a good, a pretty good library of of content already there. Um, and then they also had um, already created a number of like a template library. Um, so 
that was also a factor in folks looking for templates <clears throat> in certain areas. And then those pages were ranking pretty well. There were some opportunities to kind of make some changes, but uh, between the existing library of blog content and the templates, they, they had already established a, a pretty good, um, good amount of organic traffic. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. And then before we get into some of uh, questions around the levers that you pulled, um, the, the strategy and approach, I'm curious about this because we've had a couple of people on that have talked about growing organic traffic. Um, and the, is it like, we talked to some people, you know, I've chatted with who kind of subscribe to this, like top of funnel, middle of funnel, bottom of funnel approach, like, you know, like, and we're going to do like maybe our two or three keyword phrases, you know, at the top around generic topics, like anyone in our ICP might be interested in. Yep. Um, down to like, you know, middle of funnel, then bottom of funnel, we're maybe talking optimizing like, uh, you know, uh, legal software, you know, or project management software for lawyers or whatever, like, and, and they're, you know, trying to get their homepage or their product pages ranked there, maybe in, yep. the, in the most bottom of funnel. Do you kind of subscribe to that? Or do you feel there's like, I've talked to other people who feel like, no, like, we're going to look for the revenue driving keyword terms, like, we're going to find the ones where they're not just you know, looking to be educated on the space, but they're going to be looking to educate, you know, they're looking for a solution and we're going to optimize for those. And that's where we're going to invest most of our time. Yeah, I think uh, it, it so broadly, not specifically just this one client, but more broadly, it depends um, what they already have in place and kind of where, where they're looking. So when we work with like seed stage companies, um, we are typically trying to focus a bit more on the bottom of funnel, uh, intent driven keywords that are in topics that are going to, um, bring in the folks that are, you know, closer to that point of conversion. But sometimes we come in and there's already a good amount of like, they have, you know, a bunch of comparison pages with competitors. They have a lot of good bottom of funnel and they really just kind of need to bring more people into that and like internally link from some of the. The broader terms into the the deeper stuff so um it's it does kind of depend on what they already have in place but i would say our general uh we don't exclusively focus on like the the revenue generating bottom of funnel stuff but it's um that's where we prefer to start um unless a client has a very very specific reason that they just want to grow traffic uh, but we would obviously be trying to advise against that because it long-term that's not going to play out as well. So I would say, yeah, we, we bias towards sort of the revenue generating bottom of funnel, uh, but also have very much a balanced approach to understanding what all is needed to, to kind of have that well-rounded opportunity. Makes a ton of sense. Um, yeah. Okay. So as far as updating existing content, kind of the first lever that you pulled in the first step, I'm no, some, I know some, I'm saying, I'm going to number it like for listeners, but I know I'll, probably a lot of this is happening at the same time or yes, yeah, around yeah. the same time. Um, so when we're talking about updating existing content, uh, this seems to me like one of the easiest things companies can overlook. Like this is the thing that's like, does it really drive that much impact to go back up and update old blog posts or like, you know, the interlinking, like what are sort of the main things that you think move the needle here? Like what, why is this so impactful and what do companies miss about this? Yeah. So I'll give an example to start when we, were uh it's probably about like 2017 2018 uh when i was at sprout we had a very very successful um uh, blog post on our site it was like number one revenue generating 
top five trafficked pages on the entire website. Um, and if we didn't stay on top of it and refresh it um, every quarter, and then eventually it actually became like every other month, um, we would lose about 75,000 visits per month, or yeah, per month, if we didn't address wow. that. Um, so this is a substantial impact, not like, again, not just the traffic, but like it was a revenue generating post. And so if you think about the amount of new posts and new content you have to create to offset that amount of loss, um, it becomes very clear the impact that that would have on everything. I mean, it's just substantial. So it's like kind of an extreme case, but it's one that, that I lived through and, uh, and experienced and really was like, okay, well, this is one of our 3000 posts. So like, you know, what else is happening? And maybe that feels like a really big deal, but what about, you know, the 50, 60 posts that are all losing a hundred visits a month that still adds up. Um, and so, yeah, the, generally the, the content decay I think is, is either completely overlooked or in some cases just underestimated uh, the amount of impact that that has, um, to the overall growth. And so number one is sort of those higher impact revenue generating posts that you, if you're losing that traffic, you're losing revenue. Um, but then there's still even other stuff that's just broader discovery, brand discovery, brand building, uh, all these other pieces of content that have the other, other areas of impact. So, um, I think generally the, the space has, uh, there more and more people that kind of understood over the last few years, like refreshing content is, um, is valuable. And that's makes sense, like revisit a post and refresh it. But I think broad scale, um, sort of the, the content decay and the number of ways that can come up and sometimes needing consolidation or pruning, just completely deleting stuff. Like there are a lot of different things that involve that. And it's not just a matter of like going one by one and refreshing you know, a blog post or something. So, right. uh, but yeah, I, generally I think it's, it's still underestimated how much it, it impacts the, the long-term compounding growth. Now you listed a few of these, but when you're going through it for updates, you are looking at where can we better provide relevant internal links? Uh, you're updating. It sounded like some of the content when you're updating content, is this more like to give a broad example? Um, cause I, I, I imagine it's like somewhere in the middle. I know obviously if there's, it seems like, is it true that, that, uh, from what we know, I guess that, that Google's algorithm, for example, will prioritize updatedness to greater or lesser degrees, depending on the, the query. So for example, best shows on Netflix, they're probably going to really value relevant content in November and maybe updated in the last three days because Netflix is refreshing those videos so much. Yeah. Um, whereas like, how do you read a ruler or how to use a measuring tape, you know, is, is semi like evergreen. It's not really changing that much. So what, what would maybe like, it's, I think it's obvious for listeners that like, if, if you're more than Netflix, if you're ranking for more like the Netflix type search, it's pretty evident that like the whole content needs to be reworked, you know, mm -hmm. pretty often. But when you're more, I would imagine a lot of these SaaS clients are giving definitions of things. They're like you said, there's template libraries. So what is a content refresh besides internal linking? Is it just kind of refreshing for the sake of refreshing? Are you trying to add, uh, content or context that you didn't have before? Are you analyzing like read through rates and where people are dropping off, you're trying to make it more interesting. Like what, like what goes through your process there when, 
when the piece doesn't need to be completely overhauled, you know, to show a more time relevant thing. Yes. So, so typically the process would be understanding, you know, if you look at like a three months over three months or six over six, something like that, just generally where has there been a decline in uh, impressions and clicks or, you know, one or the other. Um, and then going into that specific content and looking at the queries that are related to that and starting to kind of like understand based on looking at that, like where, you know, where are the queries that also dropped off? And then you kind of dig in, look at the actual SERPs of those and compare what's there and ranking versus what you have, because ultimately that's Google's final answer on that particular topic is how they see that. And so sometimes it's the intent behind the search is shifting a little bit. And so that could be a full rewrite or just even just rewording to kind of fit that, um, Interesting. fit that intent. Um, but it, yeah, it could be that it's dated that you like, you have, um, some of the sources that you've cited are a bit dated. Um, it could be completely self inflicted that you've since written similar posts and therefore now like the search engine doesn't quite know what you're trying to to accomplish um mm. it can be like a, a thing that we we harvested for a long time at sprout and it works well even now for clients is there are posts where you'll still be ranking really well for some stuff but it dropped because of this group of queries that um were matching to a very small part of your post uh and and the, the search engine has sort of determined like uh like you actually aren't doing a good enough job on this and um and therefore we're, we're not going to keep showing your post for those, but it'll still show for the, the rest of the queries. And so that's a good opportunity to say, okay, we either need to add some more content into this post on that topic to like make it more robust and sort of satisfy that. Or sometimes we actually just completely create a new post that goes fully in depth on that topic and then just link to it from that, that section of the post before. Um, and so it's really just kind of looking through the data and sort of seeing where where there are clues there analyzing the serps and and understanding who is ranking why what's different uh and then that sort of begins to paint the picture of is it a light refresh is it intent shift is it internal competition number of those things okay i would imagine it sounds like experience matters a lot here like someone like you is able to come in and quickly ask these five or 10 questions and analyze all these different angles where someone internally, this is quite a lot to like look at. They don't even kind of don't even know what they should be looking at internally. Um, yeah. It seems like it's a pretty, it's, you know, it, it's pretty comprehensive and situation dependent. Um, so yes. It's yeah. It's case by case for sure. And that can be, that can be true even with a single post and just looking at the list of queries that are, that are matched to it, you know, like, even within those list of queries, there could be sort of case by case uh, variants and why why some are dropping and why others are dropping. Um, so yeah, it's definitely you know it takes some some time and experience to do that. And I think um, to your earlier point on um, you know, companies are sort of like underestimating this. I think or yeah, like not understanding the impact. And my point on underestimating is I think there are some surface level things that can be done when you see the, the decline happening and they're like some easier things can be done that you will potentially regain some of the traffic. Uh, it's just a matter of that opportunity cost of how much could you have gained? Um, and also just the number of things that are sort of 
like look like they're doing okay. They haven't necessarily declined, but actually getting in an understanding that this could be doing substantially more. Like we had, we had a, an example of that where it was, uh, it was not decaying. It was pretty consistent, but once we made the necessary changes, it was like 26 X the traffic, I think, wow. uh, like really kind of fully unlocked the potential of that suite of, of queries and that topic. Um, and got it optimized the way it could be. And so that's the other aspect of that sleeper impact is like the opportunity cost of not having that, even if it doesn't look like it's underperforming. Right, yeah. right, right. So then it sounds like, so, so you, you're going through, you make these internal updates and once you've hit a certain volume of them, you're sort of like, uh, for anyone who's driven stick, if the, uh, the this is the way it's, it's going to my mind. Um, if, if content updates are your clutch and then your gas is like new, uh, you know, new content, you're kind of like letting off on the clutch, pushing in the gas a little bit. You're like beginning to put out new content in this case. I, I know you said there's like a range generally you try and start given the context of where they were at 10,000 uniques a month, SEO is number one or number two revenue channel. Was this more middle or top of funnel than that you had expanded to as you started to create, or did you start creating with more? Was there bottom of funnel stuff they were missing? Um, yeah, it's a great question. There, there was definitely bottom of funnel stuff. I think we we started out really kind of helping with middle and bottom to start, and then from there sort of shifted into kind of a, a balanced approach of top, middle, and bottom. But um, yeah, there was definitely some, some opportunities though in that bottom of funnel content to to do that. And so that that worked well in this case. And, you know, in, in other cases, like sometimes it depends because certainly um, for, for a lot of companies, just being able to build out uh, like well-rounded topic clusters and really kind of fully create that um, collection of content that that fully covers the topic, establishes authority, all that. Um, it may require a bit of a mix there in in terms of you know where you would sort of map content to a funnel, but um, but it's it's definitely um, I think helpful to to be able to do that. So we have some companies that are also just like we like to be able to kind of plan every few months with them, and so if they have like an upcoming product uh, feature release or give us information like, Hey, this one vertical, like our sales team's closing it like crazy. It's very profitable. Then like we can kind of pivot a little bit and, um, and support, you know, that, that feature launch or that, that vertical a bit better. And so that may pull us again out of that, like pure bottom of funnel focus and, mm. and just kind of like try to be adaptable and a good part of the, the overall marketing team. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. Um, now you talked about improving CTAs then as, as one of the next steps, uh, step three of, of the ones that you listed, um, that, which significantly drove more signups and revenue. Is this, is this kind of everything that would naturally come to mind? Is this placement, the wording, the visuals around it? Like when, when someone's listening and you know, whoever's listening to this interview and they say, okay, we, we want to try this step, you know, to try and improve it for us. What do you find are some of the. I know there's probably lots of nuances, but can you touch on some of like the biggest ways to move the needle specifically in terms of improving call to actions are most just irrelevant are most just poorly placed are most just poorly designed. Like what are the, what are the things you think through when you go through this? Yeah. 
the, the initial, so we've, we've since done more. The initial example in this case, uh, was, um, like comically simple, I would say, uh, we took, so most of the CTAs were at the end of the posts and we, it, you know, maybe took an hour. Uh, we pulled the top 25 most trafficked posts. Uh, and added a text CTA to start a free trial at the very beginning of the post. Um, I and love that was it. it. Yeah. Uh, so it, it awesome. really was no like hanging fruit for listeners. Yes. It, yes. A very, very simple thing. And I've been pretty adamant about that since, um, in terms of like text links being a very simple thing to do. Um, that said we do. So the experience we had at Sprout was really, um, awesome just reaching a point of like the volume of of traffic in a million visits a month like you you really can get to a point where you can test a lot and so we had actually gone through a process of pretty systematically like trying to push free trial across everything and then any that didn't work we sort of worked our way down of like the highest intent ctas and then worked our way down to sort of contextualize what's going on so um we were able to kind of run uh, tests either like if a post had enough traffic, we could run a test, um, just on that post, or we would do it on like a group of 10 or something. Uh, but you're just modifying the CTA based on like th what the offer is essentially to make sure that's sort of contextually relevant to, uh, where someone's at in their journey based on what they're reading. Uh, placement definitely matters. Um, I think there's, especially when you think about longer form content, like 2000 words in a post, like there's definitely a lot of opportunities to have some pretty subtle calls, uh, to things in there. And ideally it's a mixture. Like we try to do a mix of, you know, partway down, Hey, go check out this podcast episode related to this topic. And then, you know, a little bit further, you know, maybe, a, you know, a free trial or demo request or sign up type of thing. Um, so I do think, I think it's a little bit of everything to your original question. Um, like I said, in that specific example, it was, we started with, with the, the text links, but then it moves into a little bit of everything, like understanding the intent and where someone's at and contextualizing the offer. It's, you know, a little bit of the design and placement and all those things kind of go into that. Yeah. I was speaking with a guest. Um, I can't remember the exact details right now, but it's coming to mind. Uh, someone who was on the show a few months ago was sharing, I think it might've been Amelia, but she was sharing about how I think it was her uh around they actually found that when people the example was they created top of funnel middle of funnel bottom of funnel um no it wasn't her i'm gonna stop trying to guess who it was but top, <laughs> top middle bottom of funnel um and when people when the journey was bottom of funnel to sign up the churn rate was significantly higher than when it was top of funnel middle of funnel you know bo bottom like a mix of all and then they would convert and the reason mm -hmm. was <clears throat> the product it made a lot of sense hearing about it because the product itself was multifaceted it wasn't like one yeah. tool for one solution and so <clears throat> people that only landed on one bottom of funnel piece they were only looking you know, to do this one thing, and then they couldn't justify the price for a full suite of tools. So it, it makes a lot of sense in post. And it made me think, I think one of the ways that I've seen companies get this wrong a lot is when there's just a blanket, like a one size fits all, like, hey, we know we want the blog to drive sign up, So let's just make it sign up. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah. But I really think, um, yeah, I've been thinking a lot more about like, you know, a, another Netflix example, like, 
you might also enjoy this, right? Like I think there's a huge thing that if you're if you're at top of funnel content and you're trying to actually maybe not get them to sign up quite yet, and at the bottom there's maybe like a carousel of like related posts um, that you could, I think people could get way more clever about the language where it's just like, oh, here's other posts and that they use whatever WordPress embed or whatever it is that does that, that surfaces yeah. those things. And they could get way more intentional that's like, learn more about, and then they list the category and they list the blogs around their category, or you drive them through a logical next step on their educational journey or provide them a map like, hey, click up here to go back, you know, to the map of explore all the areas where you want to go. So it seems like to your point, there's all these things people could think about with calls to action that make it more relevant, but you've got to kind of get away from this mindset of just get them to sign up on every blog post and make it, you know, uniform and consistent. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think more, if, if more marketers, I mean, in general, any company, but even at SaaS companies, I think if they were truly given the opportunity to do marketing in the best way, um, versus like, Hey, we have these huge growth targets and you like, you just gotta drive pipeline and you're going to naturally be biased to like things that are going to, to get you there. Um, I think there would be a lot more companies creating awesome content, optimized for search, distributed on social leading to just very, very high quality newsletters, uh, and just letting that nurture over time and, and build into that. And so, um, that's certainly a layer that we had at Sprout. That's actually almost entirely our strategy right now for our own content uh, for 10 speed is we, we certainly have, you know, here and there a little like, Hey, chat with us CTA, but by and large, if the people that are finding our content, we're trying to push into uh, our podcasts and into our newsletter. And if, in like the, if we could list the, comp the you know, all the companies that are subscribed to our newsletter, uh, versus like our client list, it would be, it would be pretty substantial. And that's something I'm actually quite proud of because I think, well, why not, you know, whether they end up converting at their current company or, right. you know, come back to us when they move into a head of marketing role at a different company or whatever, or, or just never do. And they just value us because we, they learn something from us. Like that, I count all of those as wins. So, um, yeah, I think, but to your point, I think there's, uh, there is that possibility and we certainly dealt with that at sprout too being a, a broader platform that did publishing analytics listening engagement like there were a lot of things across a lot of channels and so when you get somebody who comes in bottom of funnel just for twitter analytics yeah there there are probably platforms and, and features out there that are much easier to use or not so easier to use but like uh just better fit that use case and are, are cheaper than than the broader platform. So totally yeah. get that too. Yeah. Now I want to touch on, this is something that's very interesting to me because I've led, I've led uh, a, a website revamp and, you know, luckily we didn't experience a massive loss of traffic. Uh, it was, yeah. it was a pretty like one for one swap. And I was, I was pretty mindful of those issues with basic things like 301 redirects, making sure the website's responsive. When you yes. say, this is something to your point, you, you know, you mentioned this, this happens a lot. Like it's time for a, a visual refresh. It's time for a copy refresh or whatever. Maybe people are on WordPress and they want to move to Webflow or vice versa. Um, what, you know, in, I guess both in this case, there's a few ways I want to ask this question, but um, take it whatever direction you'd like. But 
you know, when, when a, when a marketer who's listening or a founder, you know, is, is listening and they're thinking about going through a visual refresh or they want to migrate to a new platform. What do you think were the biggest perpetrators of traffic loss in this client's case? And what do you think they kind of are in, like, maybe extrapolate that to like what you see in general? Like, was it as simple as, you know, instead of picking an out of the box Webflow or WordPress theme that was mobile responsive, they had someone code one and in certain ways it wasn't like, was it as simple as mobile responsiveness or is it, is it way more technical of like the way the site is coded, the site speed, the different like metadata that, you know, like the, the crawl requests, the JavaScript that's loading, you know, before, like what are the thing, what, what, are, what should people, I guess I'm trying to ask for the people that are listening that are about to go through this process or considering yeah. this process and they're saying, Oh crap, how can I not lose a bunch of my traffic? What would be pointers you'd give them to not lose their traffic? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think so. You know, earlier I mentioned in this specific case that they had um, uh, kind of that compounding factors of of multiple things happen at once. One of them was site redesign. The main thing I think that we found was just the the change in uh, like crawlability and and indexation. So just the the site structure and sort of like menus and layout uh, just impacted a little bit of how it was being crawled and and the priority signals coming from that. So uh, I think that was the main, the main impact there, but I was, I'll address it in two, two ways. So if you're staying on the same platform and just redesigning the site, um, it can feel like it's not as big of a deal, but it is uh, like I was, I, I know there are probably people who did not enjoy working with me at, at times when we were going through redesigns <laughs> because I was like in the code being like, wait, 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 there were three font files before. Now there's four. Like, tell me why, like, give me a very good reason why we have to have four different font classes instead of three on the site. And like, um, but it, so it can be that, I mean, it could even just be that people didn't delete the old font files. Now you're loading all the old fonts and the new ones. Uh, it can be the, the compression of the images and how that came through. It can be that you added a ton of motion, cool little like things are slowly moving in the background or auto playing video or things like that, that just impact the load time. It could be that you have less visuals and better compressed images, but the, the way that it's loaded and like the, the order and there may be some new JavaScript tag that's sort of holding up uh, an important part of the render and that changes how Google and, and other search engines view that. Uh, so there's just so many factors in like you change your site now from one click to a drop down, and now this split out into another page or you change pagination of the results on search or on blogs. Um, there are a lot of things that, that can seemingly look small when it's in a Figma or, or Photoshop file, but, um, can have an impact on, on how that's done. Uh, replatforming just compounds that like it's, it's that plus, you know, oh, I'm moving to this CMS and now the, it's forcing the, you know, different URL structure and we set up all the three oh ones, but we didn't account for all of the internal links going to those pages. So now we have double hop, uh, uh in, yeah. you know, redirects and you know, just all kinds of things like that, that they can kind of happen with that. So it, it's a, it's a, it's a big event. And I think. The most important thing is just to have someone crawl your site before and then be able to crawl after. And that tends to 
give a pretty good map of, you know, every detail and nuance of the code and structure and indexation and load time and all of that stuff uh, to be able to look at pre and post and go diagnose and make the tweaks and get it back. And that would serve, uh, that's probably a fairly good list of the things you walk through with this client to help them get back on track from these things. Like these are all the things that you're checking as well. Yeah. Yes. yes. Um, okay. I want to be respectful of your time. We could dive into a yeah, There's a lot more we could talk about, uh, yeah. but we'll, we'll get into the, some of these results here. Um, the, I do have one more question for you. I'm cu- just, sure. you know, curious what you think about this. Do you feel, you know, you've, you've been in the industry a while. Do you feel like you see, you talked about market forces earlier and how it's, it is interesting. You made the point that the market seems to be getting more educated on SEO and things like, you know, what SEOs maybe are not to blame for in, a, in an event like this, because there's just more education than there used to be on the topic. Like I definitely find more marketers are way more aware, at least of the basics than what they used to be. Like it felt like yes. it used to be that you had to hire experts. Now it feels like if you're in content marketing or growth marketing, you know, you know, at least a little bit of this, if not a lot of it. Um, I'm curious, as far as a market force, do you feel like you tend to see resurgences in SEO when there's not that there's been a major economic dip, you know, in a while, but when there's economic dips and budgets are tightening and layoffs are happening in SaaS or in tech, um, and the example you gave, CAC is getting higher on paid. Do you see kind of a resurgence in SEO? And do you see people kind of maybe turning back to this where before they could afford to put money kind of into an ad machine and generate faster results? Is Do people get more bullish? Do they turn to it as like, a necessary resort that they may have overlooked up until then. Do you see any change, I guess, with that? Um, I would say generally, yes. I mean, I think when, I think the bigger thing is that when there is any sort of headwinds, whether that's sort of the earlier this year, sort of SAS valuation crunch, uh, that happened, uh, and a lot of companies with the you know, layoffs and trying to extend runway, or just general like economic broader like economic impacts. I think it in, it initially just drives people to be much more uh, diligent and and really scrutinize their spend. And so, you know, I'm pretty bullish that I think most companies on in good times operate with you know ten to thirty percent fat uh, in a lot of their spend. And so, um, I think the the initial thing is that you see. Hey, let's dig in. Let's really understand where our paid budget's going, or you know what these things are doing. Um, and I think there is a there is a tendency to be willing to cut things that are knowingly fat and invest them in things that feel like long term growth for the brand uh, and and you know ultimately pipeline and stuff as well. Um, that said, I would say there's I would I would feel like there's been a little bit of a shift that. Several years ago, it felt like there was sort of like paid advertising or organic search. Um, mm. And there weren't like a lot of other area, you know, events and, you know, maybe a couple other things. But like in terms of big, big, you know, long-term scalable opportunities, there weren't a lot. Um, I do feel like there's um, two things. I think there's more channels that people are wanting to explore a bit more, like around social, potentially even, you know, TikTok and some of the, the newer uh, platforms. And I think that there are more video or like more, uh, content formats, podcasts, mm. video, uh, a number of areas that that's also a decision is like, 
say you cut 10% of fat out of paid search or something, it's not necessarily definitely going into, uh, you know, content intended to be optimized for organic search. Um, but I think content overall is still, um, kind of a big area for that. So generally, yes, I think that's, that's an opportunity it's driven from scrutinizing spend and where there's opportunities to, to shift and put dollars into longer term things. Uh, but right now I'd say there's maybe a few more options on the, on the table. It seems to like, it still doesn't, you know, I, I could be wrong about this, but just like my perception of it and the way I've seen people talk about it is as a channel, it still feels like it's thought of so utilitarian where like you've seen a shift with media, right? Like, you know, YouTube, uh, or podcasting or social has social went from like link dropping and all these brands being like, look at our latest blog post or like, you know, come check us out. We said, we're still here to now, you know, trying to entertain, trying to bring value. There's a lot of talk about zero click content, um, on social. So people are kind of seeing these other channels in a more fully orbed way. Like, Hey, the podcast doesn't need to convert. Like, I'm not trying to drive listeners right now, here and now, you know, over, over to data box. Right. Like, so it seems like they give other channels like that the benefit. And I don't quite see that yet with SEO. Like for some reason, there's still this like legacy view. Cause the truth is, I think if you, if you rank really well for top of funnel content or your SEO con strategy ties into your YouTube search strategy or whatever, like there's, there's a lot of brand building going on. Like it, you know, it's like the record literally just from the basics of like the logo and name recognition and call to mind. So maybe then like the fifth article you read, you decide to click on the homepage you learn in two sentences from, you know, from the H1, what they do. Uh, and then, you know, you recommend them to a friend or something like there's, there's all these yeah. other side effects, same as with podcasting and social, but it still feels like people treat SEO like fairly utilitarian. And they're like, okay, you know, rank for this term, get people, you know, people are look, I think because there's higher intent and there's, you can know the intent of someone better than social. Yeah. Um, and so there's ex expectation to only use the channel in terms of like, I want them to read it. I want them to see who we are and sign up or whatever. Yep. But I think there's a lot of other like brand effects similar to social and podcasting or to these other media channels that maybe it doesn't get quite the same strategy love for. Yep. Yeah. I mean, our, our belief. So, I mean, you know, coming from Sprout, very design first brand first company, even though it was heavily you know, inbound and acquisition focused. And so it was, um, every, every interaction is a brand touch point, you know, and that's either positive or negative. And so our approach, you know, with clients is like this content, like we still get people today who are like, but this is just like SEO content is just stuff that you don't want actually people to see. It's just for search <laughs> engines. Right. Yeah. And, and it's like, no, 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 no. Like we're interviewing your team. Like we're pulling out your point of view. We're pulling that into the content. Like we want this to be quality content. And the thing is that like, the companies that do it really well, it's like we view at this point, organic search is a distribution channel. And so if we can create quality content that is optimized for that, that's great. That's the one distribution channel, but you also should be putting that in your newsletter, breaking it up into multiple posts for social, sharing that with sales to, you know, be able to use the sales enablement, like, uh, with prospects and educate them. Like there are so many things that that becomes fuel for like, broader marketing, broader brand building, um, trust building, all of that. And organic search is one, one part of that, uh, of that puzzle. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. I love, I love the thinking on that. And I think it's a really modern 
it's the right take on it and um it'll be interesting to see i mean i think you know marketers are getting more aware for sure you get you hear a lot more voices trumpeting that message so or or, you know amplifying that message all right let's let's uh wrap up with the results here so um you mentioned so you saw as a result of pulling these levers you saw a 313 percent increase in monthly traffic uh for this client 2x the monthly trial signups yep which is wild um is that like site-wide or like homepage specific or uh site-wide yeah site-wide okay um 4x the video views and podcast downloads uh that's wild so was this a thing you encouraged them to measure so like this was like under their like all these companies have like resource sections where they list the podcast and whatever and they just did they track this did you did you encourage them to track this like you were just able to drive more views to it um yeah it's it's something they proactively shared with us but it are so it's it's two things it's bringing more traffic into that entire resource area um but it is what i mentioned before about actually giving the guidance of like embedding hey this is a relevant podcast episode you did um you should you know embed that here in the middle of this post and really just kind of building that connectivity uh, throughout the content. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, it's funny because it's, so, I mean, I'm living this. It's it's easy. We can fall yeah. into a trap of uh, like, okay, we're operating a podcast. We're operating a silo channel. But really, you know, versus just putting the show notes page, how can we be, it's making me think like, okay, how can we be using this on our blog or, you know, whatever to, yep. to drive more listeners to. Because um, I know, you know, driving podcast listeners is not easy. And that seems like a really low hanging fruit thing to do. Um, and then you two X the number of LinkedIn followers. What was the tie in there with, with LinkedIn? Was that because they were, you know, repurposing this great content on LinkedIn or, or how did that happen? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you know, realistically it's a number of, of factors over that time period, but yeah, generally just more having more content and, and distributing it more on LinkedIn. Okay. Uh, yeah, this is, this is incredible. Is there anything else that, that you want to add there for that section that I didn't, I know I kind of like rattled off the summary list, but anything else that you think would be helpful contextually? Um, I mean, generally the, the feedback was, uh, you know, certainly that organic search has become the number one revenue channel. So like the, the blended CAC continues to go down, um, for them, which is a positive thing. And then, um, the thing that, that we thought was just cool that they shared with us, which is that they um, had a uh, like a higher level um, employment prospect, essentially found them via their content and oh. ended up applying and became a company or employee at the company. Um, and so they thought that was cool. And, and so then we just naturally, you know, wanted to experience it's cool. It's, it's not just like, okay, you got X number more clicks, like, someone genuinely found that like bought into the value of the company uh and now is is having a you know an impact on their career and, and the company in a, in a broader sense that way too so i thought that was a, a cool thing they shared yeah that's that's a really interesting use case like using it to drive top talent because they like what you're about you are sharing the point of view more in the content it's yep. higher caliber than competitors that they're looking at um yeah very very cool well, uh, yeah, Nate, this has been an awesome conversation. Thank you for being willing to share so many insights. Um, how can people get in touch with you? Where do you want them to follow you? And uh, I know you mentioned the newsletter and other things. What 
for people that are not ready maybe to like fully pull the trigger on hiring someone for SEO, but they want to keep learning and following you, where do you want them to go? Yes. So, um, 10speed.io would be the best place to find, you know, more about what we're doing, but also newsletter, podcasts, our blog, it's kind of all easily findable there. Uh, and you can follow me on Twitter NP Turner, uh, and you can, um, on LinkedIn as well. It'd be great. Uh, I think my username is Nate Turner and then the number one at the end. So, I uh, would love to certainly connect on Twitter and, and LinkedIn as well. Awesome. Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks, Jeremiah. That's great. Thanks so much for listening. If you found this episode valuable, check out our other episodes or subscribe to get new ones. If you want to support the show, we'd love for you to leave a review or share it with someone. And if you want a tool to help you track and improve your business performance, try Databox free at databox.com.